Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is the one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast, and also they can match you with good sponsors so that you, you can get paid for it as well. So if you've got something to say and you're not quite sure how to start a podcast, go to anchor.fm slash start today. Hey folks, Brian here. I want to thank each and every one of you who has liked, reviewed, rated, and subscribed to Confessions of an Arcade Addict and telling your friends and everything like that. Please keep it going. I just recently went up over 500 likes on Facebook and I'm really, really grateful to each and every one of you. Now on with the show. trying to get back on schedule. Um, I haven't been doing much except for playing games at home. Um, I've been wanting to go to... Oh, I lied. I'm sorry. I went to Pinball Pete's for a little bit last Sunday, just for a little bit to hang out and sort of clear the head. But um, aside from that, it's the same kind of frustrations with Pinball Pete's. Some of the machines that I play aren't still aren't working 100%. And... It's just a little frustrating, but it is what it is. You know, everyone's still dealing with COVID. I mean, we just elected a new president. There's going to be a bunch of unrest, I'm pretty certain of, for a little while until things start to calm down. Um, but aside from that, um, yeah, I've just been playing games at home, aside from that little jaunt to Pinball Pete's. Um, I'm thinking about going to the arcade in Brighton. Um not this, not next weekend, maybe the one after that, the weekend before Thanksgiving, I might go. We'll see how my finances shape up. Uh, let's see, I've been playing Battletech. I actually got uh, Chronicles of Mistara off of Steam so I can play it on my PC. Um, I've been playing Path of Exile. I've gotten back into that. Uh, I've been messing around a little bit with Star Wars Squadrons. Nothing all that crazy, but, you know, just been doing the usual things, and of course, you know, uh, working on things for the podcast, and my episode notes are going well into the 40s now, I think I'm like up to uh, episode 45, so, you know, I'm going to be around for a little while, so, you know, buckle in folks, and I just hope you enjoyed taking the ride along with me as always. Uh, I did check voicemail and emails, and still nothing out there. So, once again, I'm going to ask you, 
Um, if you've listened to any of the last 31 episodes of this podcast and there's something you want to talk about um, or ask about, by all means, just get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. That's all one word, by the way. Um, also, I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. On Facebook, all you have to do is search for Confessions of an Arcade Addict. It'll take you right to the page. There is a discussion group that goes along with it. Also on Twitter, my uh, handle is ArcadeAddict underscore B. On Instagram, I am ArcadeAddictBrian. And Tumblr is Tumblr.com slash blog slash Confessions of an Arcade Addict. So, once again, there are multiple ways of getting hold of me. If you so are so inclined, you know, I'm here. You know, it gets a little lonely just sitting here in front of my computer with a headset on, you know, talking about stuff that happened, you know, in my gaming past. So, yeah, please, by all means, you got something to say, as long as you're nice, you know, say what you will, and we'll talk about it. Okay, I got quite a bit to get to here, so let's just not waste any more time. Arcade Rundown. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Arcade Rundown. Arcades that I want to go to. Now, I know how things are how screwed up things are with COVID and a lot of uncertainty, especially since we don't have a vaccine yet. But um, once things do get back to normal, and I truly believe that they will, it may just take some more time. um, I'm going to see if I can get some money together and I'm going to take a holiday weekend and get on the road and go to Chicago. I call it Arcade Central because there are at least 10 arcades and barcades in the uh, Chicago area, and, you know, it's just a lot of things. I mean, I've been watching Jack Danger uh, streaming on Twitch for years. Oh, goodness, I think it's upwards of five years now, maybe even six. And, you know, he's based out of Chicago, and he's got his own place where he has multiple pinball machines. That's what he streams, pinball. And uh, before COVID hit, he uh, used to go to all of these arcades in the greater Chicago area. And he would stream live from there, which was cool. You know, he would stream walking there or driving there. And then he'd get himself set up uh, at the arcade that he went to. And... You know, he would just make a day of it, which was actually cool to watch. So, yeah, I actually met Jack Danger when he came here to uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And, you know, it was cool to meet him and his wife, you know, and her their first child. They've since had another child. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just really cool just to meet him. And uh, I did ask him uh, during a stream one night if, if I could... Uh, hang out with him at his uh, HQ, and he said, yeah, by all means, let me know, and, you know, we'll make a day of it, and I'm like, all right, cool, you know, I'll take you up on that, that was a couple years ago, but um, 
I think I'll be able to get the funds together and go out there and, you know, just make like a three-day weekend of it or something like that. Yeah, I also intend on getting a hold of uh, Greg Hansen, uh, who does videos on YouTube called Arcade Impossible, where he uh, finds uh, video game machines and uh, puts them in his uh, the basement of his house. And I also want to get a hold of him and hang out with him. And, you know, I want to get their uh, takes and critiques on the various arcades around Chicago because they've been to all of them, I'm pretty sure. I did a little uh, internet search list of uh, arcades that uh, are definitely interesting that either I don't know about or I've seen on Jack Danger or when Doc Mac does his uh, does his stream on Twitch, um, his nickname is Ghost Lord Zero Zero Zero, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, they do a, a mystery game reveal. Um, as of, let me look it up because I think they're really really close to 800 games, but I am not 100% sure. So let me just check this real quick. Okay, I'm back. Um, yeah, as of this, as of the time of this recording, which is Friday, November sixth, uh, they are at 793 games. I knew they were close to 800, but Facebook hadn't gone crazy, so I know they hadn't reached the milestone of 800 yet. So yeah, I mean, Galloping Ghost, of course, is number one on my list. It goes without saying. Let's see, there's Emporium Arcade, uh, Logan Arcade, which has two locations in Chicago. I've seen Jack Danger stream from both of them. Uh, Pixel Blast Arcade, which looked really promising. Uh, Izzy's Arcade Bar, uh, which is another place. And Headquarters Beercade. These are just the ones I just did with a cursory search of arcades in the city of Chicago. So... I mean, I'm planning on doing just, you know, just doing like a three-day weekend and just getting as little sleep as possible and just going to these places and, you know, having a good time and finding out what they're all about because, hey, <laughs> I work hard. <laughs> I deserve a vacation, even if it's only a three-day weekend. Uh, let's see, all these places look really good on their sites, and they come pretty highly rated online as well. Uh, I better put away like $200 to spend for this little trip and stock up on Icy Hot because I ain't no spring chicken anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, Arcade Rundown, those are the arcades I want to go to. By the time I actually get to do, by the time I get to do this, this list may have gotten larger, but we'll see. So, uh, if you live in the Chicago area and you have an arcade that you like that uh, isn't on the list that I came up with, of course, it's only like six places. There, I think there are at least 10 to 12 in Chicago, if not more. Um, get a hold of me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Tell me why I should visit the arcade that you uh, recommend. So, yeah, let's break away from that and let's move on with the show. Let's go to top tens. Top tens. Atari 5200 games. 
All right. This list wasn't that hard to comprise because I didn't play a lot of 5200 games, even though I owned a 5200 system for a few years. Um, I only owned one of them, one 5200 game, and the rest of them I borrowed from friends and family members or I played at friends' houses. I did like the 5200 because the games were much closer to the, the arcade experience than their 2600 counterparts, even though the controllers were terrible. <laughs> That's just the truth of it. There are times where I wish that I had gotten a ColecoVision because the ColecoVision actually had better games and a, a wider array of them, but you know, it is what it is. We all make decisions in our lives, some of them not so great. Alright, so let's get on to this top 10. Uh, once again, these are just 10 in order. I have no honorable mentions because, like I said, I didn't play very many of uh, uh, 5200 games, so let's get right to it. Uh, Pac-Man. This was the game that made me want a 5200 in the first place. Um, I told a story when, I think I told a story of Christmas 1983, uh, when I got my 5200. It was the driving reason why I wanted to get one, because uh, the 2600 adaptation was a major disappointment to me, and I felt somewhat cheated. Even though I didn't buy the 2600 version of Pac-Man, I rented it from Video Connection first, and I'm glad I did, because I'd have been really upset. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, throughout 1983, I begged and pleaded with my mother to get me a 5200 for Christmas. Uh, Pac-Man was the packing game. You know, my mother, of course, you know, being an adult and not understanding my arcade video game addiction, uh, she asked me, you have an Atari already, why do you want this one? I told her, I said, Mom, the games are better, you know, and so... She relented, and she bought me a 5200 for Christmas with Pac-Man as the packing game. I honestly think, and I think I said this when I did um, Are You Experienced for the 5200, I think I said that if Atari had done it packed in Pac-Man from the beginning, I think the 5200 would have had a better showing than it did as far as sales and whatnot. Okay. You know, even back, even then, I knew the ColecoVision was the better system, but I had an allegiance to Atari, and it would cost me in the long run, and that's just the truth of it. Um, this game was an also almost perfect translation of Pac-Man, and of course, being the only game I had, I played it constantly until I could reach the fifth or sixth key with regularity when starting from scratch. Um, I did like the fact that uh, the 5200 had a level select button. So if you just wanted to practice the key levels, you could skip ahead to those levels and start from there, you know, which was kind of cool. Okay, um, so uh, yeah, that's Pac-Man. I mean, I, I want to think about how many times I played it through going into 1984, because <laughs> I played it a lot. Okay, uh, Defender. Oh, this was a fantastic translation of the arcade game. Now, while the action of the game is maybe a couple of steps short of the utter chaos the arcade uh, machine could bring, it was still more than enough to keep you on your toes uh, once you were able to 
come close to mastering the controller setup and that did take a while because you know i've said it before in our experienced and while i was reading off wikipedia i said that's the major downfall of the 5200 was the fact that the controllers were so terrible um, aside from the fact they didn't recenter themselves like the ColecoVision controllers, you know, they were fragile. You know, anybody who was a serious game player, and I was one of them, yeah, you could break those controllers easy. But, yeah, I mean, Defender was great. I used to borrow this game from uh, my cousin Matt all the time, who lived uh, like three houses down from me. As a matter of fact, I'll go right into the next game in my top 10s for the 5200, Robotron. Um, I was always begging my cousin to borrow this one, too. Um, I was better at this version than uh, the arcade at this time. Um, the, like I've said, the funny part about Robotron is, is that I'm better at the arcade game now than I was back in 1982 when I was, what, 13 years old? And, you know, the action was a little slower paced but it was still enough to really keep you, you know, keep your attention and keep your focus. And it, a lot of similarities in uh, the 5200 version were in the arcade version. But yeah, it was a fun game and I loved it. Um, okay, Congo Bongo. This was a game that I would borrow from my friend Damon, who lived on the other side of the street one two three four five seven houses down from me you know on my home street um yeah he had a 5200 and he had this and a couple other games uh but yeah i would borrow this from him from time to time um i think he got a, a 5200 when it first came out when super breakout was the packing game so i would trade in pac-man for this <laughs> you know which was you know a fairly equitable trade in my opinion um now the game itself was pretty interesting it was like donkey kong but it was done from an isometric point of view i wasn't very good at it you know and because it was i wasn't good at it it frustrated me and you know i would give the game back after a few days because i just wasn't having that much fun with it um but you know congo bongo it's the uh 5200 uh, version of the, the arcade game made by Sega um, in, I think, 1982 is when it came out in the arcade, and I think this version came out in 83. So, yeah, I mean, Congo Bongo, it's, it was interesting, just I wasn't really good at the game. Um, missile Command, <laughs> of course. I mean, the ubiquitous Missile Command. <laughs> I mean, and... and Going from 1980 to about, I'd say probably about 1983, maybe even 84, I was all about Missile Command. I would love to play it, but after a while, I sort of got away from it. Um, this is the direct port from the version made for the Atari 400 and 800 computers. As was said in um, my description of the game in Are You Experienced, that... Um, Basically, an Atari 5200 was like an Atari 400 or 800 computer with the keyboard taken away. <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. You know, all the games were on these uh, cartridges, but yeah, that's pretty much what it was. It, you know, like I said with the, you know, the uh, Missile Command for both the 2600 and the 5200 version, 
it may I wondered every so often, especially the 5200 version, why it wasn't more truly arcade, just in that, um, well, in this version, of course, you have the killer satellites and the bombers who drop missiles on you as they go across the screen, but you only still had one missile base. You didn't have three. And that was something that I always wondered about because, you know, I would think that it would not have been that hard to make the uh, 5200 version a lot closer to the arcade, at least in that aspect. Everything else was pretty much spot on. Ms. Ms. Pac-Man, um, another great translation for the 5200. I only played this a couple of times over a friend's house, if I remember correctly. Um, but my impressions of it were, you know, this was pretty much, you know, really a really good translation from, you know, from the arcade to the 5200. And that was only to be expected. Um, let's see, the Dreadnought Factor. Now, I first found out and played this game for the Intellivision, but I like this version better because it looked better and the action was a little faster and, dare I say, the controls were slightly better. Um, the game pitted you against a massive spaceship where you had to destroy gun emplacements, exhaust ports, enemy f and enemy fighters as you just, as you tried to destroy a dreadnought ship piecemeal. I mean, I love the game as frustrating as it, it could be at times. Um, Rescue on Fractalis. I think I played this for the 5200 once or twice, um, but I'm going more off of my... Uh, Commodore 64 memories because the game was pretty much identical to um, to the 5200 version. Even though I think the 64 the, six, the Commodore 64 version looked better, but the gameplay was the exact same. Um, you know, you piloted a ship on a planet to rescue stranded pilots on the surface. Um, all the while dealing with enemy spacecraft and aliens trying to board your ship and destroy it from within. Uh, the first time I saw an alien disguised as a human pop up on the screen trying to pierce the cam canopy of my spaceship, I about had a heart attack. <laughs> I remember that vividly. I mean, it was a fun game, but it could be scary. Because once you got to higher levels in the game, the uh, pilots that you would find on the planet... You know, now they could be regular pilots, and you know, at first you would know just by the skin tone of the pilot running towards your ship whether it was a um, a regular pilot. I forget. I think it's called a squadron leader or something like that, um, or it was an alien. But as you went further along in the game, the aliens could better disguise themselves as humans, and you wouldn't know until the pilot reached your ship, and either knocked on the door or jumped up on your canopy and tried to get, you know, tried to break into your ship. Um, <laughs> I have so many memories of this game, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, I love Rescue on Fractalis. It was a fantastic game. You know, kudos to whoever designed it. Maybe I'll do an RU experience for it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Um, River Raid. I mean, what can I say about it? It was like the 2600 version, but it was better. <laughs> Enough said. That's all I can say. I've only pl only played it a couple of times, um, but what I do remember is that it was um, it was much better. It was you know of course better looking than the 2600 version, but it played similarly. 
I think it had a couple of other differences. I should just play it in uh, emulation and figure and find out. But you know, you know, what are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, I'm a little lazy right now. Uh, and finally, Zaxxon. And I put this on the list just because I'm a Zaxxon fan. It, it's kind of funny because. I've just noticed on the internet when they talk about arcade games and Zaxxon gets brought up, a lot of people hate this game. <laughs> it's really, really funny. But, I mean, f whether it be the arcade game or a version of any of the home systems, you know, I was one of those quote-unquote weirdos who liked it. I mean, the game is fun, it makes you think in split-second increments, and I like it. So, what am I going to say? Uh, so yeah, those are my top 10s for the Atari 5200. Um, if you have a favorite that you think should be on this list, hey, you know what to do. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com uh, Let's uh, do a little unfinished business. Time for some strategy. Time for some strategy. Star Wars. As of this recording, on the second week of November 2020, uh, I went to the arcade in Brighton earlier today, and after not playing Star Wars since the last time I played it, which was almost a month ago, I got number one on the high score list again, albeit by 9,000 points. Not too shabby, really. Um, okay, let's get through this. Normally, I start on level 5, which gives you an 800,000 point bonus for destroying the Death Star, but I'll go through it as if you're starting from level 1. Uh, with level 1, as you start, it's just a dogfight with TIE Fighters, followed by a run, uh, trench run on the Death Star. Uh, in the dogfight stage, uh, everything's fairly easy. Uh, shoot down the ties for a thousand points each as soon as you get your crosshairs on them. And shoot the fireballs that they shoot at you for 33 points each. And do your best to survive without getting hit. Um, after, I want to say, about 45, 30 to 45 seconds, I think, the tie fighters will peel off towards the Death Star and you follow them in. Um, on level 1, you go straight to the trench run. Uh, the trench run level 1 is easy. Um, the easiest way to get through it is to fly near the top or the bottom of the trench, and then when the gun emplacements start shooting fireballs at you, move up or down to evade them. Don't shoot anything. Don't use your lasers until you get near the exhaust port at the end and a message comes up that you, you get 100,000 points for using the force and of course that means by uh, that means to uh, traverse the level without shooting your lasers at all uh, once the message comes up immediately start firing at the exhaust port and the floor and when your crosshairs uh, pass over it you fire your proton torpedoes and the Death Star is destroyed uh, you get 25,000 points for destroying the Death Star and 5,000 points per point of shield energy you have remaining and if you took a hit somewhere along the way you get one shield point replenished and it's on to level 2. Um, level 2 is the same but this time after the dogfight 
and you make your run on the Death Star. You're skimming the surface of the Death Star while red gun emplacements shoot fireballs at you. Shoot them for 200 points apiece and just either shoot the fireballs they shoot at you or evade them. Easy. Um, after time, then you move on to the trench run here as well. Now it starts getting harder because the gun emplacements lining the trench walls that shoot at you faster and now catwalks start lining the trench which need to be avoided. Uh, the same rules apply. Uh, don't shoot at anything if you think you can get through it without you know, losing a lot of shield energy and again you get your 100,000 point bonus on top of destroying the Death Star and whatever um, uh, shield energy you have left. Then it's on the level 3 where things start getting more interesting. Um, after the dogfight, um, when you make your run on the surface of the Death Star, now laser towers start emerging from the, uh, the surface of the Death Star, and they have white tops on them. You shoot the tops for points. Uh, it's a progressive 200-point bonus, which means the first one you shoot is 200 points, the second one's 400, third one's 600, fourth one is 800, and so on and so on and so on. And if you shoot all of the uh, tops of the laser towers, there's a number in the upper right part of the screen that tells you how many are remaining as you're flying through the level. Um, if you shoot them all, you get a 50,000 point bonus for shooting them. So this level becomes very quickly the one where you score the majority of your points per level. Um, the way I look at it, if you're any way decent at the dogfight, you can pull down 20,000 points pretty easy. Um, if, of course, you know, you're uh, running through the uh, trench and Death Star, of course you get the majority of your points by using the Force, so, you know, it behooves you if you think you've got the skill to fly the level um, without using, you know, without shooting your lasers and getting that Force point bonus, hey, by means, go for it. Um, let's see. I can't remember if it's level 3 or level 4 where Darth Vader makes his appearance during the dogfight, but he comes out in his TIE Advanced Fighter after you shoot down a TIE Fighter at the beginning of the stage. Uh, he shoots quickly, his attack patterns can be frustrating, because especially in the later levels, he, they're firing so quickly, you basically have to walk your laser fire across the screen you know, shooting the fireballs that they shoot at you while you're moving the crosshairs closer and closer to the fighter so you can destroy it. Um, that's with regular TIE Fighters as, as well as Darth Vader. Um, you can't destroy Darth Vader either. All you can do is send him, send him spinning off into space after you hit him, and when you hit him you get 2,000 points. But he'll only spin off for maybe about 3 seconds, maybe 5, and then he'll come right back on the attack. Uh, sometimes one of his tactics is to start heading directly for you as if he's going to ram you, but he fires a fireball just in front of him, so if you let him get too close, the fireball will hit you and it will drain your shields. So, yeah, it's one of those kind of things. Um, also, from level 4 and forward, the trench run gets faster and trickier. The emplacements fire at you faster, the fireballs track to you quicker and as you go through the level the pace gets quicker too. Um, add to this now that there are going to be walls 
lining the trench and there's going to be only one way to fly your X-Wing through that wall without ramming it and losing shield energy and it just basically becomes a matter of quick reactions and level memorization. Um, for uh, research, I studied a YouTube video of a guy in UK. As a matter of fact, let me pull it up real quick because I want to give this guy a shout out. Uh, he posted this video like five years ago. His name is DP Firebird. And um, he posted a bunch of different videos. The one I watched was him going for a... I think it's like a personal best record of like 62 million points. So yeah, the guy's really, really good at Star Wars. Um, I picked up a lot of things by watching his videos, not the least which is him showing it's possible to use the Force all the way through level 10, which that that bonus, that 100,000 point bonus, really becomes important. Um, I I love this game. I love Star Wars. It's one of my all-time favorites. I mean, I'm not looking forward to the episode where I list my top 10 all-time favorite arcade games, but yeah, that's coming. That's down in the, what, uh, high 40s, close to episode 50. And, of course, I've got a little lead time to do it, but I'm not looking forward to it, because, yeah, that's going to be tough. <laughs> I've played literally hundreds of arcade games throughout my life, and narrowing it down to 10 plus 10 or 15 honorable mentions is not going to be easy at all. But, as always, stay tuned. Uh, any questions, thoughts about uh, m you know my tips and tricks for Star Wars? You know what to do. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com And now, let's play the Silver Ball. Silver Ball, Space Invaders. Oh man, I mean, this was. If I do an all time, a top 10 of pinball machines, and I might, then again, I might not. I'm not 100% sure. That'll be way further down the line. But if I do, um, this machine would definitely be in my top 10s. I mean, you know, this is, this is just a great uh, pinball machine for a bunch of different reasons, but. Um, let's go into a little bit of history on it. There's not much. Wikipedia did not have an entry for it, so after a little more digging on the interwebs, I did find uh, a little description for it on Pinside, so I'll read it here. In 1980, Bally released a pinball version of the original 1978 video game Space Invaders, becoming the first pinball to be, uh, first pinball machine to be based on a video game. Bally's video game division, Midway, had licensed Space Invaders from Taito in Japan and decided to capitalize on the machine's incredible success by using it as a theme for a pinball machine. However, few elements from the original game, except for the sounds and front case artwork, were included in the pinball game. The artwork instead resembled the Xenomorphs from the 1979 film Alien. 
Bally was sued over the game's artwork resemblance to designs by H.R. Geiger. In fact, they stopped production of the game due to uh, pending lawsuits, although 11,400 machines were still produced. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, let's see. A settlement was reached with Fox Studios where the royalties were paid to the studio for each pinball machine sold, and Fox was also given approximately three machines to use for the promotion of the sequel to Alien named Aliens, which came out in 1986. This machine was one of only five wide bodies released for production by Bally. It was designed by Jim Patla with artwork done by Paul Ferris. Um, my experiences with it. I remember this machine very well. Uh, Trumbull Mall Arcade got it when it came out, and it was pretty different from the other pinball machines in that this one was straight up ominous looking. It really was. I mean, from the Geiger style artwork, not only on the back glass, but also uh, on the play field, um, to all the dark colors that were used in the mirrored back glass itself, this game all but dared you to throw your quarters in it. Um, <laughs> or, if for those who are old enough to remember, your Susan B. Anthony dollars. <laughs> and I think you would get, what, five credits, I think, if you threw a dollar in there? Um, but yeah. So, I mean, I remember the shots on the game being difficult but not impossible, although the switch around lane in the middle of the playfield was a source of a lot of drains, as was the center target. Um, if I remember the game rules correctly, and I do actually have this machine in emulation, but... Basically, what you had to do was uh, have the, you know, hit all of the drop targets and have the ball go down all the lanes where there was a flashing light indicating an alien was there. And each time you hit a drop target or went down a lane, uh, the light would go out, which means you had it. And the more, uh, the few, the more aliens that were quote unquote taken out, the sound you know the game sounds would speed up just like in the arcade game and you know it would raise your blood pressure you know and th the classic arcade games are classics because of that they would you know they would mess with you they would get you you know excited or you know just getting just your getting you hyped up because the you know the sounds in the game are moving fast i mean this game is you know notorious at it as is xenon which we will talk about in a future episode but i mean you know this game was it was moderately difficult but each time you knocked out all the aliens you would get a, a static bonus I'm trying to remember how how it went. I think it went 20,000, 40,000, and 60,000 for each set of aliens that you took out. And of course, there were various other um, areas where you could get points. And of course, the uh, switch around lane, which that I mentioned, would increase the uh, bonus multiplier. You know, which would max out at what 30,000 points. And then, of course, you it was incumbent on you to get the multipliers, which would, you know, which was like 2x, 3x, and 5x, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, I think after you got 5x, each time you hit that switch around, you get an extra ball. So if you were really good at uh, pinball machines, and I knew a couple guys who were, you could rock this game for sure. 
but yeah, I mean, for what I uh, read on Pinside when I was looking for information, this machine doesn't get a lot of love, but it did have a rather profound influence on an 11-year-old me, I can tell you that. So yeah, that's Space Invaders. Um, if you were around in those days, in the early 80s, um, if you have a Space Invaders machine, um, let me know what you think of it. Because, yeah, like I said, there was scant information on the internet. Uh, ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com. And that will put us, bring us to the end of this short little episode. So I will try to get this out by the end of next week. And then we can turn around and uh, look at uh, episode 33 coming up. Okay, I have... Are you experienced and time for some strategy for one of my favorite uh, video wrestling games of all time? Oh, what else do we have? We have an arcade review. And we have... What else? Oh, that's pretty much it. Hmm. I'll have to go and you know, see if I can add something to that. Oh, I'm sorry. We have home systems, too. Jeez. How could I forget that? This is an important one, too. So we have that coming and coming soon. So I will call it here. This is Brian saying, have fun out there, good gaming, be safe, be smart, au revoir. This has been the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at Incompetech.com. You can contact the show by email at arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com, or you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-743-2433. Until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.